Crystal clear. Crystal All right, clear. perfect. Take two. Take two. I can't use the same joke again, can I? Brian, do you look like we're from the same gene pool? <laughs> Mention it. <laughs> I can see it. Is it is it is it Andre Kazirian? That's right. Or else, as they say on the streets, Andre Kazirian. Kazirian. I want to hear Brian try to say it the right way. <laughs> he t- Andre he Kazirian. Telling- Ooh, that's that wasn't bad. He even uh, pronounced the first name Armenian accent. Well, right right before we came on, he's like, "Hey, you got to ask him his name." You got to ask him his name. How do you say his last name? He goes, either that K or that Z is silent. I'm like, nah, nah, buddy. No, you got to pronounce break. all the letters. We'll leave <laughs> nothing out. We break all the rules. When I, when I went to your Instagram, there's a video. There's some videos of your dad on there. And when your dad talks, if I close my eyes, I swear to God, it's my dad. I just recognize <laughs> that that uh, Armenian accent using the English language. So it's awesome. Bring him back flashbacks, right? Yeah, that disciplinary Armenian dad voice. Um, how how old are you, Andre? I'm 28. Oh my goodness, you're young. And you went to school for was it? Did you go to school for finance? That's right. And then you you chased your passion, which is uh, what is your passion? Fitness. I mean, it, it definitely changed my life at early. I just kind of slowly. People kept asking me for advice, training advice, because they saw the transformation I was making for myself. And then throughout college, I kind of just started dabbling in training. And before you knew it, it started turning into a career path for me. By the way, that's Brian and I'm Sevon. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Um, when you were a child, were, did you, did, were you into, uh, into, and it's, it's funny that you say fitness because I'm attracted to your Instagram because of movement. The, right. um, I, I really enjoy watching people move and I enjoy you post a lot of videos with some really, really cool movements. I mean, that you could even say blur the line of, I mean, you maybe other people wouldn't see this, but it's almost like dance. I mean, your fitness is, is pretty incredible with the jumping and the lateral movements and the going over objects and the changing of directions. So it's kind yeah. of fun. It, it's fun, really enjoyable for me to watch. Um, when you were young, were you a active child? Um, not too much. I definitely like to like play outside. I definitely liked anything adventurous, like climbing trees, stuff like that. But I wasn't I wasn't really that good at sports growing up. You know, like growing up in Armenian household, sports wasn't like the number one thing their parents really want you to chase after. So I got put into like the most basic of basic YMCA leagues, stuff like that. Um, just areas where there wasn't it wasn't really taken that serious. And then over time, I just took it upon myself to become a better athlete, make fitness um, a priority, and and here we are today. What inspired that? Was it just you wanted to look good, so you presented well to the opposite sex, or like what? What was the in the earliest in your earliest um, pursuing of of fitness? What was I mean, the reason? Um, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because obviously, you know, you want people working out for the right reasons. But the very earliest I really got into fitness, I remember it was high school spring break, you know, and everybody was everyone in my senior class. All the guys were like hitting the gym every single day, going hard. And I just took it to another level. And I was like, wow, I'm actually seeing really good results doing this consistently. 
And I, I remember just being so proud of myself. I had her awesome before and after. And then I remember after that spring break, I was like, I'm going to take a week off. You know, I worked really hard. I'm just going to take this week off when I get back. And I literally just watched all my gains disappear in a week. So ever since that day, I was like, I'm not ever taking this much time off again because I worked too hard to just, you know, get lazy and let it all slip away. And I just became hooked to the results. If if you are a, for all the stuff I, I preach about health on my Instagram, if you're a young man and you don't want a good body to court women or to court men, whatever your flavor is, you yeah. have something wrong with you. You should absolutely want to have a beautiful body so that you can go out and, and play the mating game. There's nothing to be, that's what being young is about and it's fun and, yeah. and it's your body and, and it's sort of, you know, whatever it takes. I didn't change my no, even though everyone around me told me that diet is 99% of everything, I didn't change my diet until I was, you know, eight years into my fitness journey because I just, I didn't want to believe that. I wanted to believe you could work off a bad diet. And Oh, yeah. We all know that's bullshit. Yeah, I think anybody uh, that, that says they don't care if they look good or not, they're just doing it for the fitness side of things is probably a liar to some extent. Or, they're, or they're 49, or they're 49. Could be, maybe they're just <laughs> You know, when you're first starting out and you're in your uh, late teens or early 20s, you know, even if you're working out as an athlete, you're trying to go for speed, somebody is going to work in a set of curls just to get the arms big. There's no denying that. When um, uh, my, 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 my first journey into, into fitness was just, you know, like, like you were saying, just, I went to the YMCA, I did bench press back by just all the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff, did it with my friends, all that cool stuff. And, and, and then, uh, and then my second life, I was working over at CrossFit Inc. And I, I can remember from the earliest times from going to, um, film with Rich Froning, who is the fittest man in the world four times. Um, I would see them do that even though it was like something that was frowned upon in the CrossFit community, I would see them do curls. I would see them do crazy weighted sit-ups with hundred pound uh, dumbbells in their hands and doing sit-ups. And I'm like, okay. And then ironically enough, our, the five-time fittest man in the world, Matt Fraser is now just openly saying, Hey, I'm done training for fitness. I want to have a nice beach body. And I'm like, yeah, I, I feel you, <laughs> you know, like right. he, he's on the broccoli and chicken diet and trying to lean out and he wants to see some muscles. He wants to see all that hard work pop out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a fine line. I definitely like wouldn't consider myself a bodybuilder where that's all I for. I mean, you see my style of training, but you know, just work it in, do, do what makes you happy. If it makes you happy to work in some cable flies and even out your chest, then work it in. That doesn't mean you have to stop doing all the other stuff, but I'm a strong believer in you can uh, achieve the body you want with any type of fitness. You know, you just have to do it the right way. Absolutely. It's, um, do you, I, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember the football player Herschel Walker? Yeah. And he had something where like he never touched a weight. He just did a thousand sit-ups, thousand push-ups, and a thousand pull-ups every day. Some crazy shit that you can't even get your head wrapped <laughs> around. And, uh, I never believed that until I got into the crossover world and met. Yeah. You add some intensity and some basic body movements and your shit get all blown up. Yeah. No, one, no one believes that stuff until they actually try doing a thousand sit-ups and a thousand push-ups, and they're like, okay, you know, this is as hard as the five sets of bench I did the other day. How, um, you own a gym called Troy fitness in Troy, Troy. Michigan. Yep. Troy city fitness, Troy city fitness. 
Tell me about opening that business. What gave you the confidence to open it? What was the catalyst to opening it? And how long has it been open? So I, I uh, had this dream ever since uh, probably like mid-college when I was getting my finance degree. At first, I was following um, some guys I really looked up to at the time, more bodybuilding style, like Mike Rashid, C.T. Fletcher. These were like the classic YouTube videos I would watch that would just pump me up. I even visited Metroflex in Long Beach, and I fell in love with it. I was like, this is the vibe I want. This is the type of gym that I want to open in Michigan. And, um, you know, just going through more research, I, I went to a couple Perform Better seminars, which is awesome for anybody that wants to be in this industry. Go to a Perform Better seminar and, and learn from some of the best minds in the industry. And um, they have a ton of business seminars, which I attended. I actually uh, reached out to Alan and Rachel Cosgrove of Results Fitness. They, they offer um, counseling for gym owners like myself. And pretty much told me that my entire business plan was flawed. And um, I'm so happy they did because the type of demographic that we attract now with the product that I've put out compared to what I originally planned on putting out is night and day. You know, we kind of have like a, a gym that's for anybody right now. You could be a bodybuilder. You could be a, um, an athlete. You could be a soccer mom. You could be that uh, middle-aged guy who's just trying to stay young. And it's something for everybody versus... The original type of gym I was trying to open was really going to be geared towards like heavy weightlifters, bodybuilders, people that are seasoned, that are looking for that specific niche type of environment. And did you did you feel like you had to compromise what you wanted by doing that? Were you, and and were you nervous? Were you like, shit? What do I know about that? I, I really focused on this. I want I want to I want this to be just a. A house for just meatheads. When you say that, I just picture a bunch of old iron, rusty plates and just like 20 dudes juiced out of their mind working out is what you were going for. And that is not that what your a, Instagram shows. Your Instagram shows yeah. some of the most beautiful bodies on a full ranges of ages uh, that I've ever seen. That was the plan originally. And obviously, um, you know, being stationed in Michigan, it's a different type of demographic here than, you know, the West Coast. The West Coast, you got been obsessed with fitness at a young age you know there's bodybuilders just walking down the sidewalk everywhere you go so um with that being said this is not the place for that type of gym and um you know once i went once i went to their actual gym results fitness where we had our original seminar i kind of saw the environment i saw how supportive everybody was and it's so awesome to see you know uh 50 year old woman doing kettlebell swings next to like that. They had a professional boxer there and they're just working out next to each other. And I was like, you know what? This might not be what I had envisioned, but I can still put a product out there where everybody feels comfortable and kind of supporting each other. And, you know, no, our gym is definitely not soft. You know, we got chains, we got uh, banded squats, we have graffiti on our walls, still all the stuff that I always imagine. It's just, anybody feels comfortable coming into our facility and I'm happy that that's the type of environment that we created. Yeah. It really does look like you are making athletes too, with the kind of movements that the people are doing. They, they require yeah. a level of um, intelligence and coordination. Some, you know, um, I've watched you do a bunch of stuff and then I go in the garage and I try to do it or I try to have my kids do it. And I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking hard. And look, you make it look so easy. It's just like, oh, step over here, jump up here. And I'm like, 
why does he look like he's on ice and I'm, and, and I'm, and I'm going through peanut butter while someone's punching me. I mean, it's, um, you have, you have all the pieces there. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of muscle memory, right? Once you have that coordination, once, once you do the basic crossover drill, you just start adding to it, you know, then you, you can add the ladder to it. Then you can add more hurdles to it. You can add a box jump to it. So you're just kind of combining everything. So that's how we kind of start everybody off at the basic level in their phase one programs. And then as they move to phase three, phase five, they're looking at the the videos that I take of them while they work out. And they're like, I can't believe that I'm actually doing this stuff. I could never do this five months ago. So, so it is kind of like dance. It is. I mean, the coordination aspect of it. And it's funny you say that because I have had uh, professional dancers come in just, you know, to keep their fitness. And it's amazing how, how quickly they pick up some of the movements that I teach them. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, um, if maybe people wouldn't spot it unless you told them, but definitely for me, as I see it, I'm like, holy shit, this is a, this is a fucking dance. This is like a really intense right. dance that requires a lot of explosive movements. It's yeah. all coordinated movement. You're, you, if you went to school for finance, um, what, how did your parents feel about you going this path? Um, they definitely, you know, they had, they had a little bit of concern in the beginning. I actually moved to LA for about a year and I was chasing my dream to open a gym over there, but I saw how fierce the competition was in LA. There's so many good trainers, so many good coaches, so many uh, good gyms in LA. Obviously the price to do something like that is a lot more expensive in a market like Los Angeles. So I kind of took what I learned there and um, devised a, a really detailed business plan, uh, showed it to my parents, showed it to a lot of my friends here just to bounce around ideas, get opinions. And um, I remember specifically there was like this one day where we were all sitting down and I could just like see the stress on my dad's face because he, he saw me ready to put my life savings into it, take out this big loan and open this gym. And um, I told him, I was like, Look, you know, at the end of the day, my my number one goal my whole life was to make my parents proud. And um, if they if they truly felt in their hearts that I should go another route, I was willing to do that. But my my parents, I love them to death. They just looked at me in my eyes and they said, if this is what you want to do and you're passionate about it, then we don't want you looking back 20 years from now. Like, you know, I, I wish I just took that chance. So with their support, I've always said that's all that I need. Um, in my heart to to really chase a dream and that's all i had in the beginning and, and, it, and it worked out so i'm blessed for that i did i did a podcast this morning where i was being interviewed um wish i could remember the guy's name paul he's out of qatar anyway he asked me are you raising your kids the same way that your parents raised you and I said, only 50%. The other 50% I'm doing totally different. They go, what is that 50%? I said, my parents believed in me and they gave me fucking crazy love. The whole yeah. entire family, my aunts and uncles, someone was always pulling my hair, yanking on my ear, squeezing my belly, kissing me on the neck, tickling me. It was nonstop. My, and everyone believed in me. And uh, it, it's funny because when I went to your Instagram, although it's mostly fitness, there are some glimpses at your family. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy, although my parents didn't stay together, they still are friends. And uh, I'm like, wow, this is a cultural thing. He was raised probably very similar to me. Like you're always sitting on an uncle's lap. You're always like, you know, your dad's always messing with you. 
you and someone's always tucking you in and kissing you too many times at bedtime. It's just nuts. And it sounds like you got that same, uh, you know, they feed you too much. Um, <laughs> that's, def- that's definitely, <laughs> um, doesn't have that. Um, when, when you went to LA, what did you see? Did you, do you hang out in the Armenian community in Michigan? Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, I did more when I was younger. We had a lot, a little bit stronger community um, in my early years. We had uh, basketball leagues, things like that. It's kind of um, falling apart a little bit, but you know, I still try to go to church as much as I can just to keep that culture within me. Um, but when I was in LA, it's it's huge out there. I mean, uh, Armenian is like one of the uh, dominant nationalities in LA. So I actually have a ton of family on that side as well, which just like you said, welcomed me with open arms and it kind of just made the transition a lot easier. Did you notice a difference? I'm in Northern California. I'm about Mm -hmm. five hours North of Los Angeles. Did you notice a difference in the Armenians in LA versus the Armenians in Michigan? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's night and day because, you know, uh, in LA it's mostly highest on versus here. We have a ton of Beirutsis, Halepsis. So for, for Brian and whoever else doesn't know, it's just Armenians that uh, basically came from a different country. So during the genocide, we were kind of all split up to different regions. And even the, the dialect, the way you speak is different. Yeah. So so you, where, where were your mom and dad born? My mom was uh, born in Yerevan and my dad was from Halep. Oh, yeah. OK. So did you say your mom was born in Hayastan? Yeah. Or Yerevan? Wow, that's the capital of Armenia. Wow, that's interesting. So my my grandmother on my mom's side was from Turkey, and they came through Ellis Island. And my dad's family was taken to Beirut during the genocide. They escaped yep. on 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 French ships or English ships. Um, and I and I noted when I go to L.A. the first time I went to L.A. and I started hanging out with some Armenians down there, it was a bit of a culture shock. It was a uh, it was. It was wild. I, I had I had no I had no idea. And my but my family, my mom and dad met in Chicago, and I had family, and I still have some family all over um, Detroit and Cleveland. So kind of, and you're about forty miles south of Detroit, or no, north of Detroit, right? Uh, probably like fifteen miles. Fifteen miles. Okay. How how are how are things? You know, we always hear all this crazy shit about Detroit, about how it fell apart and then it's rebuilding. What are the suburbs like? What's it like where you're at? I mean, the suburbs are so different than the actual city of Detroit. Uh, I I went to my first two years of college was at Oakland University in Rochester suburbs, but I just I have always been a huge advocate of the city, and I want I wanted to experience that uh, during college, so I transferred to Wayne State, which is right in the heart of it. And I really got like that downtown Detroit experience. And that was probably during the time when Detroit just started coming up. We had uh, big investors like Dan Gilbert come in. Um, They built like a couple high risers, just started uh, renovating a lot of the abandoned buildings down there. And ever since then, it's just been uh, like you you could see the transformation. If you go downtown Detroit and you haven't been there in a few months, you're just going to see new construction, new renovation. So it's really uh, great to see like how the city has transformed over the past 10 years. It's, it kind of reminds me of like the stories you would hear about like Portland or Austin where, oh, sorry for that. I, can you repeat that? I just had, had a phone call. I had to... 
it it reminds me of um uh oh <laughs> bye bye well that was good it was nice talking to you andre andre vanished off the screen for a minute he had a phone call come in he must have accidentally tapped something sorry sorry about that guys when i was um or it reminds me sort of 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 portland or austin and I assume like cities like Cincinnati and Detroit are going to go through that same thing where just everything becomes so affordable that people are like, okay, I have a dream to open a coffee shop and this rent is affordable and I can, you know, I can do my shit here or a gym or, you know, what a comic yeah. shop or whatever. These kind of these cool boutique places that get priced out of, you know, other areas. You don't, you don't see a comic book shop in downtown Beverly Hills because. Can't afford it. Yeah, right. And you probably don't see a, a super cool gym like yours. So you open the gym and is it um is it t- what what year was that? 2016. And is it so you've been open for 5 years? Yep. Coming up on 5. And is it terrifying? Is it is like, it exciting? Is it uh the actual process of opening the gym? Yeah. Uh, I, when I, when I first opened the gym, I was just so excited that I, any, any fear that I had was just blocked by just pure excitement because everything is new, you know, it's your, it's your dream come true. And I was blessed with a really good core group of clientele that I had from, I was uh, renting out space at a gym before I had this one. So I had about 20 to 30 clients that, that were really loyal, pushing my business, advertising for me, trying to get me referrals. So in the beginning, things were things were moving pretty quickly. You know, it definitely um, wasn't making money off of the bat. But uh, within like a year, I would say I had like a comfortable base where I could say this is going to work out. You know, it might take a little while. I was working like close to 80 hours a week, if not more. But with, with the more I would work, the more results I would see, just just like anything else in the gym. So. You know, the same way I got hooked to those results early in my fitness career, I kind of became hooked to seeing the results of my own of my own labor in the gym. And now you how many people do you have working for you now on your website? I saw two or three. So we have about four front desk employees. We have two trainers and then we also have a boxing coach that comes in once a week. And when you started, was it just you? Just me and two front desk employees. And so what? Was it hard bringing on these um, two other coaches? Like- yeah, I didn't even really bring on another like head trainer until th- about three years into the business. Experimented with a couple um, other guys. You know, you're going to have some ups and downs trying to find the right trainer for your business, definitely, because there's there's nothing I value more within this business than my clients. You know, they they are the culture. They're what keeps the doors open. So whatever trainer I bring in, I need to make sure that they value our clients the same way that I do. So I'm like very, very picky about who I bring in to train my clients. And it took a little while to find the right person, but we have a really good uh, fit right now with Brian. He's our other head trainer and things have been going good. He, He even has been bringing in his own clientele, which is great to see him build his own success. You you train people. People come in there for whatever variety of reasons, but they, I'm guessing that they all fall under the umbrella that they want to get better, either healthier, fit, faster, fitter, stronger. Um, it, it looks like you have some professional athletes in there who train in there in the off season. 
Um, do you do you ever get people, and, I, and I'm sure you do, and my, I guess my question is more is how do you, are you guys getting that feedback? Yeah. I'm guessing more, um, how do you, they come in there, they want to get better, but then they, someone might argue their limitations. They might say, I can't. So they've done the first step by coming in, and now you're hearing excuses, right? Yeah. How how tell tell me about that? How, is that is that is that frustrating? Is that just part of the job? What's the deal with that? That's definitely a part of the job. I mean, if you're if you think you're gonna be a trainer and every single person that you train is gonna come in one hundred percent motivated every single day. Like you need to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are you 100% motivated every single day? You know, everybody has ups and downs. People get discouraged, especially when you're starting something new and you have the option to quit. You know, this isn't, this isn't like me opening my first business where failure is an option. These people might come in, they might say, I'm going to try it for a month, two months. And if they don't get results, they might get discouraged. So it's up to you as a coach to, um, kind of dig in a little bit, find find different unique ways to motivate them, and it's going to be different for every single person. Uh, my style, I'm I'm a tough coach. Like if somebody gives me excuses, I kind of just give them this look that this is not the place for that. And everyone, I kind of have that reputation here, especially within the culture of the gym, that if you listen to me. If you, if you do it, as I say, within this hour that you're here, you're going to see really good results. In a few months, you're going to be doing a lot of things that you never thought that you could do. But every once in a while, you'll come across um, some clients that you have to go on a deeper level with. Um, you know, they might be battling anxiety or depression. There's people come to the gym for all sorts of reasons. You know, it could be so much deeper than just trying to uh, be fit or look good. People might be escaping something. So every once in a while, if you see, you know, someone is just, just not there, you might have to tap in and really get um, deep with them and figure out, you know, what is it? How can I help you? How can I make your life better? Did you just touch your phone? Are you touching your phone? Um, let me lift it. Is that better? I can't tell. Yeah. Uh, no, maybe. Same. Um, that's, Yeah. I um do you think that you're tough with people because you believe in them? Why do you think you're tough with them? Do you believe in people? Is that it or Yeah, I believe in them. I've heard every single excuse you could think of and I just know what people are capable of. So if someone is giving me an excuse that I I can't do this or it's too heavy or you know, I'm not I'm not going to be able to make it through this workout, then I'm tough on them because I know they can't. If I would I would never I have an expression for myself I don't think God will ever present me with a situation that I can't handle. You know, I'm a big believer in that. And I also believe in that as a coach, I'm not going to give my clients any workout that they can't handle. So if I'm prescribing something for them, then that just means that I believe that they can do it. Is, is the, obviously anytime you get off the couch, there's a chance for some sort of orthopedic calamity. That's what people have to realize. If you move, there's a chance for injury, whether you're walking down the stairs, whether you're taking a shit, whether you're climbing into your car, every time you move, there's a chance for injury. I don't know if you've ever had it, but you know, I know a ton of people out there have had it where you're, you've never had an injury in your life. And then you're putting the weights away one day and your back goes out. You're like, what the hell? I just did the hardest workout in the world. And my back went yeah. out putting away the fractional plates. Like how did yeah. that happen? Is, is there anything worse 
than being a trainer and seeing one of your clients get injured? Is that like the, or is it? I mean, you, you definitely feel terrible. It hasn't happened too often in this gym. We've had like a couple bad injuries and, and anytime it's ever happened, it's because there was like underlying injuries. Someone has, you know, they, they already tore their meniscus like three times and, you know, they have a brace on or something and they re Usually it's like a, like they re aggravated something. Um, besides that, everything we do is pretty safe here. We don't have too many issues with that, but um, I would say people are more discouraged by lack of results than they are injury. You know, sometimes when people get injured, like it, it makes them even more hungry. They're like, I have to come back from this. I worked so hard. And I, I have a client right now who she's had over the past 15 years, she used to be a cheerleader and, you know, like they take their body through crazy flips and all this stuff. So she's had every injury you could think of. And she hurt her knee in the gym and she was here like two weeks later with a knee brace on, like doing upper body work. Cause she's like, I'm not going to let this um, keep me down right now. I got to keep going. It's really, it's really fascinating to watch how people cope with injuries. You know, I, I had a, I also could. Uh, she like tripped going down the stairs and kind of tweaked her ankle a little bit at home. And then we didn't see her for a month. Like he's a skateboarder, he fractured his like really fractured his wrist and forearm very badly. But he was after surgery, just doing whatever he could do, you know, and just a different mentality and approach. And it's like it didn't. You can get in there and and do something like the coaches will work with you and find something to do. She's like, no, I'll just wait for it to get better and I'll go back. That's amazing. She came back. That's playing with fire. Yeah, everybody has their own mindset. You know, some people are the type that they just want to get back on the horse and then other people, they kind of just want to wait it out and feel 100% kind of wait till that, wait, wait till Monday and then I'll be in. Other people are like, no, I'm going right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely in the, I'm definitely in the camp of like, if I'm drunk and I haven't worked out, I'm, I'm still working out <laughs> at night. I'm going in the garage. I'll do safer movements. But you gotta get it done. Yeah, you got it. You just got to get shit done. You got to get shit done. And, you know, all of my injuries have only gotten worse by sitting still. Now, I know that's not true for every injury, but man, movement is some amazing healing power. Just getting hot and sweating. Yeah, you'll, you'll hurt yourself definitely more from just sitting around all day. Like if you, if you work out consistently you're never, it's impossible to avoid injury. Even if it's like acute injury, it can't, it might not be the, the biggest injury in the world. It's going to happen, but the amount of things that you can avoid heart disease, diabetes, high cholesterol, high levels of stress, things like that are way longer than the amount of things that could potentially go wrong. I'll tell you this. I, I, uh, I have overdone it a little yesterday and I'm feeling my back's pretty tight today. But this morning Same. I was coaching. <laughs> but this morning I was coaching all day, and as I was on my feet, moving around, demoing movements, helping people, my back was loosening up, loosening up. Now I'm sitting here with you yeah. guys for an hour, and it's feeling terrible. <laughs> right, absolutely right. I, I I didn't see any masks in any of your photos. What what happened at your gym during in the last year? Well, we got shut down um, just just like everybody else. So we were told that it was going to be a two-week shutdown. I was actually, part of me was excited because I was like, okay, you know, I've been working for three and a half years straight. 
maybe two weeks off, it won't be the worst thing in the world. We can all reset. You know, I can kind of catch up on some paperwork and, and different type of things that I had put on the back burner. After those two weeks, it got extended another two weeks. I was like, all right. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't working out that much. But after that first month passed, I think everybody in Michigan kind of had that moment where we were like, all right, you know, we watched everything on Netflix you could possibly watch. We've been uh, getting takeout every single day and, and eating junk food and all that stuff. And it's like, now what? You know, people were dying to get back into the gym. And during that time, it was uh, it was still cold here. It was like 30s, still snowing in, in late March, early April. So we couldn't do too many outdoor workouts. But as soon as we saw that there wasn't really a, a end near for the whole lockdown thing, I started inviting everybody out to the local parks. We started doing outdoor workouts like on a regular basis. I was actually really busy uh, training clients outside. And that was probably the highlight of everybody's day. I know it was the highlight of my day, just seeing people again. So that's kind of how we coped with it until we could actually get back in the gym. And was it difficult? Um, you're you're in a social set. We're, we're in a country right now that's really for lack of a better word, polarized. And there's, you know, vaccine, not vaccine, wear a mask, don't yeah. wear a mask, Trump, Biden. Like there's all these, you know, um, right. B BLM's racist, BLM's fighting racism. I mean, there's all of these, like, it, there's there's like no middle middle ground. in the, Yeah, you're on one side or the other. Yeah. And and you obviously, I'm, I'm making the assumption that you obviously have clients who are on both spectrums. Right. Um, is that... And you're in an extremely social environment. You're in an environment where you're nurturing. It looks like you're nurturing people physically. Um, but but as we've already discussed, there's a, a lot of mental and emotional nurturing you're doing, too, to get them to go through these trials, physical trials. Is that what challenges did you personally undergo managing all these different ideas and views? I, I really try my best to stay out of politics, especially nowadays. I mean, it's such a sensitive subject like that. You start talking politics in a setting like the gym where there's like 10 people of all different walks of life and you could start a riot very easily. And I only say that because I've seen it happen in different settings. I've seen it happen in family settings. You know, you could be at the bar and someone says one thing. So I really try not to talk about politics because everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Um, but as far as like the whole mask and, and the vaccine stuff goes, I, I really thought it was going to be a bigger deal, um, especially in the gym, because our state has been one of the uh, more strict states with regulations as far as masks go. But uh, people have been, just been excited to have like a safe haven where they can come and feel like life is normal again. You know, because you go to the grocery store, if you're not wearing a mask, like people are going to attack you. You come here, you're in the middle of the set, you take your mask off and no one's going to bother you because like we're all going through the same, same pain, working out, working out hard and nobody's really going to bother you here. You know, it's kind of a family environment. So regardless, if you're a Trump supporter, a Biden supporter, whatever it is, like we're all family in this gym. Do you find any frustration knowing that hundreds of billions if not trillions of dollars is being spent to make people better so someone gets type 2 diabetes and we spend 397 billion dollars a year giving them insulin when they could also 
and, and, and they never get cured. Yeah. Or they could come visit Andre and Andre can tweak with their diet and get them moving and they could be free from type two diabetes. And it's a, it's a, it's especially exacerbated now because we see that, you know, according to the CDC website, 94% of, um, everyone who's died from COVID-19 has comorbidities and the other 6% there's not data on. Do you ever, is it, I mean, are you ever like, yo, over here, I'll hook you up. <laughs> like, what, like what's going on? Not only will I tell you what to eat and how to move, but I'll surround you with like-minded people who will give you a uh, safe peer pressure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say anything like that. That's going to uh, offend anybody who has had a, a death from COVID-19. Cause I know there's people who have uh, healthy Absolutely. people have died too, but you're right. I mean, the, the percentage of, truly healthy people compared to people who, who are just overweight. It's a, it's a huge difference. You know, I remember having, when we were doing those outdoor workouts, I had a client who was 500 pounds, who was meeting with me three times a week. And I was concerned for him because I'm watching the news and they're like, if you're overweight, this is, uh, it's going to be completely detrimental to you. And I had that talk with him and he's like, okay, if I don't work out, I have to battle heart disease. I have to battle diabetes. I have to battle my cholesterol issues. And it's like, if COVID-19 is not going to kill me, there's a huge list of things that will. So health should be the number one priority. And if it is, then uh, something like COVID-19 comes along and you just don't have to worry as much. You know, nobody wants to get it. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to get other people sick, but at least, you know, it's not life or death because you're overweight by 40 pounds. Right. So, so you have a client who's 500 pounds. Yeah. And you also have professional athletes. And they work out at the same time. And that's, that's what I love about our gym. Yeah. That's really, really cool. And you have a ton of really fit women. Every once in a while, there'll be a video on your thing and they're in their full range of women, you know, for, I don't know, I don't know, 18 to 60 it looks like right they're all just like just rocking beautiful ladies it's an impressive it's an impressive uh crowd you got there how 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 many clients do you have how many people come in and out on a daily basis we have anywhere from uh probably like 50 to 70 clients coming in and out and then we have 100 active clients and then what why and you do it do you do a lot of personal training because i was looking at your schedule and on and, and maybe it's just your website hasn't been updated, right. but it said on, well, first of all, on your Instagram, it looks like you do a lot of personal training with a lot of high end clients, but on yeah. Wednesdays and Fridays, it says you have no classes. Is that when you do all your personal training or is that just need to be updated? So the, uh, definitely needs to be updated. <laughs> <We laughs> like every gym, like every growing I, gym. I, I think the, uh, the employees on there, some of them aren't even employees anymore. So okay. I'm, not, I'm not too good with the technology. If you guys haven't noticed how long it took me to uh, get on board with you on this app here. But um, those are our large group classes. So regardless, if you do one training session a week with me, two training sessions a week, you get unlimited access to all of our cardio and boxing classes. So those are just the actual classes. And then pretty much every single hour outside of that is designated to semi-private personal training, um, except in the middle of the day, we take a break because it's just a very downtime for us. Most people are at work. Does your family train there? Yeah, my parents do. They took a little time off um, since COVID kind of got rampant here, but they're slowly starting to get back in. 
And you have a wife and a child. Uh, no wife, no children. <laughs> no oh, you don't? No. Oh, maybe that was a ne- that must have been a niece or a nephew then. Yeah, I have uh, two nieces and one nephew. Were you ever married? No. Oh, but wow. Let's not spread that rumor. <laughs> okay, okay. No, rumor canceled. You got him blushing, Saba. Well, it's 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 fun. It's fun. It's funny because <laughs> I thought I saw you were married on your Instagram, and what's kind of amazing is because there's a ton of beautiful women in your gym. I mean, a, like like an abnormal amount and and maybe that maybe they all come in like ugly ducklings and they all leave like you know princesses <laughs> but uh yeah it's it, and not just beautiful women there's a lot of beautiful men there too but but it's uh it's it, it seems like quite the fit crowd it also makes me extremely happy to hear that you have a guy who's 500 pounds in there there's probably nothing more rewarding uh, yeah than our clientele like is all over the place and the thing i love about it too is like nobody uh feels self-conscious or insecure working out here because it's it's just support from all angles not just from me um from from our staff and then from all the clients here they all support each other do you have open gym yeah so we also have a type of membership where i'll write the program for you i'll teach you how to do the program with at least one session and then once i teach you how to follow that program you have open access to the gym to come in and bang out the workout. And then every month I'll update their programs. Is there another gym like yours? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, there aren't too many, especially in Michigan that I kind of brought the concept concept from the West uh, coast working with results fitness. So my whole business model is uh, kind of replicated off of theirs and they probably have uh, maybe like a hundred to 200 gyms that they're working with that follow the same business model. So ever since I adopted this uh, semi-private training style where I'm training multiple people, but everyone gets their own personalized routine, I haven't looked back. I, I, I'm a strong believer in that being the best way to own and operate a gym if you're looking to specialize in training. To use the results fitness method? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yep, the semi-private training method. Do, do you have any familiarity with uh, OPEX? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, OPEX is uh, it's James Fitzgerald's um, company. James Fitzgerald was the first CrossFit Games champion, and they, okay. you know, they're. It sounds like you basically have a hybrid system between what OPEX does and and what CrossFit does. You know, CrossFit has kind of a you know, typical CrossFit. You will have one program for the day, and everyone who comes in and out will do some mm-hmm. variation of that program in the class setting, scaling appropriately with the coach. The OPEX model is on the other end of the spectrum where. If, if I was your client, you would provide me with a training protocol that's specific to my needs and, and capabilities yeah. and wants and desires. And then I would come in during sometime during the day to get that programming done. There would be a coach there. It may or may not be my coach, but it would be there to facilitate correct movement, et cetera. So it sounds like you have like a some too. Yeah, I think cro- the great thing about CrossFit is like the culture that it creates. Everybody is supporting each other. They're all working out together. And I think the, the only reason CrossFit gets a bad rep is just because there's a lot of gyms that aren't able or, or coaches that don't really look to modify workouts and personalize it to the person. But if you have a CrossFit gym and they, there's a great coach there that can modify the workout that everyone is doing and kind of tailor it to each individual, then that's going to be a great workout for them. So when it comes to group training, that's really the number one thing that you have to be able to do is kind of give everybody what they need when they need it. 
that what what you said is probably true for for a, any business. You have someone like Andre Kazirian at the gym, and I'm just showing off for Brian. And um, if you have someone there who cares, they're the owner. They give a shit. Yeah. You have someone there who's who's like this is their life. There's no compartmentalization. Then it's probably going to see it succeed. If you if you yeah, that's man, that's that's. That yeah, is if you're going to if you're going to open of, a gym then you better be running it because if you leave it up to somebody else then it's a it's a toss up if it's going to succeed or not. That is one of the um things that you know Greg Glassman the founder of CrossFit he would only allow each person to own one gym and the point of that was that was sort of a self-regulating quality control. So like yeah. if the owner's not there then like hey you don't get to have a gym. Um yep. but it sounds like you like you really really care and, and and you walk the walk. I mean, it. Oh yeah, that's huge to me. I, like nothing frustrates me more than seeing a trainer or a gym owner who doesn't walk the walk. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. What's your like preferred? Uh, I don't know if it's time of day or structure or what's going on in the gym when you're working out. Are there other clients there? Are they maybe working with Brian while you're you know jumping in on a semi personal class, or do you usually work out during that off time during the middle of the day? I usually work out during the off time just because it's easiest for me. My my energy levels kind of like go away later in the day, so I try to get it in in the middle of the day when my energy is at its peak. But I definitely like an empty gym too, just because you guys kind of see how much I I run around and I take up a lot of space. So that's just that's my time. What what don't you like about trainers who don't walk the walk? T- talk to me about that. What why is that? I just feel like you can bring so much more to the profession when you're training someone and you're talking to them and, and you're doing it, you know, and that motivates to me. Like I don't have to say much to new clients because they can see, they can see that, you know, the passion for what I do is written all over me. You know, that's who I, who I am. I eat, sleep, breathe it. So when you have that, it's it's like would you would you uh, go to a dentist with jacked up teeth? No, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the expression I've heard. Definitely in this not bad. All the time. Are you going to go to a fashion stylist that's uh, you know shopping at the Gap? Probably not. You want somebody who who has that same passion that you're looking to obtain. Brian, do you shop at the Gap? I didn't want to offend anybody with that statement. At all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you he just probably get wears free. his gym gym apparel, just like me. I wear these Troy City shirts seven days a week. <laughs> Brian wears shit from the from the Lost and Found box. It is gym. Hey man, no judgment. Two months. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, those shoes look a little big. Yeah, that's what they had today. It works. <laughs> um. It's 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 interesting. I'm I'm torn. I'm torn on that subject. Um, what do you, what do you think about this? Um, I, I definitely think that we have a responsibility as all human beings because I do believe we're just all mirrors reflecting each other here on the planet. That when you actually light up a cigarette in front of everyone, what you're telling everyone around you is cigarette smoking is okay. When you yeah. put a mask on, you're telling the world that hey, putting a mask on is okay. You when you eat a donut in front of people, you're telling them eating a donut's okay. Whether you want to or not, be a role model. We're all fucking role models for each other. 
where a hundred percent, if you're, if you hang out with a bunch of people who do bad habits, you will get them. Yes. Drugs are contagious, just like a virus. No, no one, I didn't smoke my first cigarette because I want, like it was my idea. It's because my fucking, all my uncles smoked and I stole a cigarette from them. And then later on in life, my friend smoked. It's like, okay, let's do this shit. And same, and same thing with fitness, right? I was around some people, like you were saying, like there, it was spring break and some of the other guys are working out. That shit's contagious. So in that respect, I mean, that's huge, right? You're in there with them and they can, they can see, Hey, this is the, I, Andre is the product. What's, what's Troy Fitness selling? Well, this right here, me and the, that person to my right and left. Um, but what about the football coach who's just a fat slob? I was literally going to tell you, I will, I will say like the exception is to me, the only exception is if you're like in the sports world, all right. If you're a strength and conditioning specialist for a collegiate team or like, you know, your NFL coach, it's different because there's so much more that goes into it. And those guys, they, they don't gain their respect from walking the walk or being in shape or being some great athlete. They gain those guys have literally been in that industry from like teenage years. Like most of those guys, uh, you know, the reason why a lot of them are, are, are older is because they've been doing it for like 50 years. And if you're in the sports world and you're a coach, it's not so much about how well do you know how to work out? It's how 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 well is your IQ? How good is your football IQ? You know, they're looking for stuff like that. So I would say that that's the exception. But if you're a trainer and you have to take people from unfit people to fit, then you got to walk the walk. You know, it's that simple. And I, I do, when we have challenges like fitness challenges, I always do it with my clients. I'm like, all right, we have a 50 day challenge. Let's go. Let's, let's all get in the best shape that we possibly can. I write my food journal. I, I write down everything I eat and I show it to the clients and I expect them to do the same. And I hope that me doing it, will kind of hold them accountable that, okay, he's doing it with me. I want to do it with him too. So there's not like a 30 day, no drinking challenge. And you're at the bar every night being like those dumbasses. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't say no drinking. I, <laughs> if you look at my food journal, you will see that maybe I had a couple shots of tequila the night before we had a special event, but I write it down. That's the key. You have to, you have to be real. I don't lie on my food journal. I write down everything, even the bad stuff. Uh, I had a doctor on the podcast and yeah. this is many years ago on a different podcast on the CrossFit podcast. And he told me that the reason why, um, he was an anesthesiologist and he was kneeling down on like one knee talking to like a patient. And when he stood up, he realized he was having trouble standing up cause he was so fat, right? His balance, his weight, all, everything was a center of mass. And he basically said it, he had this thought in his mind, Oh shit. I'm my these patients are probably like what the fuck this is the this is the blob that's taking care of me and it's funny cuz even more even more so than um people who are dealing with the public that you want to trust in police officers firefighters school teachers doctors it it is a huge disservice to their credibility when they're when you can clearly tell that they're carbohydrate addicts, they're basically sugar addicts. They're basically heroin addicts, but their poison is sugar. And it's a, uh, it's a ding on the, it's a ding on their credibility, whether you want it to or not. How safe do you feel if a police officer is a hundred pounds overweight? How are you supposed to trust your cardiac surgeon when he's got, you know, three tires yeah. around his waist? So, so man, it, it's really important. 
Um, what about um, your Instagram account? How does a how does a trainer in the middle of nowhere? Um, how do you have this massive following? How do you, how how, how did these people just trickle in? Your account's not even that old. Like how how did that happen? I just constantly, constantly post stuff, and um, it really didn't take off for years. You know, I I was posting stuff ten years ago. I was I was posting things when I first opened the gym, and the easiest way to gain following is to connect with other people that already have their own following. So um, once I started getting reposted by other accounts, uh, Piers, Piers Elite Performance was one of the big ones. He has a ton of followers, and um, I kind of do workouts that mesh well with his Instagram account. So once he started reposting me, I started picking up from his following, and then it kind of just spirals that way. But that would definitely be the the quickest and easiest way is just to connect with other people who already have the following because it can be very tough. That being said, no one would click on your account if you weren't doing all that cool stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to have the content to back it up. That's why I said yeah. you got to walk the walk, right? Yeah, you really do have to have the content. I've seen accounts get, you know, I've seen accounts get published on huge accounts with millions of followers. Like I've seen the rock, like, you know, post like, Hey, look at this person eat my ice cream. And then I go check their account and they have like 231 followers, you know? And like, they didn't put on any, you know? So I mean, it's frustrating. Sometimes you look at accounts and they have millions of followers and you're like, why, why do so many people follow this account? Like, what are they getting from it? And then here you are like actually putting out really good content that people can use on a daily basis. And it just doesn't pick up. But that's the internet. I had uh, one of my best friends. He went viral last week. He went from zero to over 100,000 followers on TikTok just off of one video. One video. And that's that's how quickly the internet can change your life. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's <laughs> crazy. Or TikTok can kick you off the platform and you can go from 500,000 followers to... <laughs> or they can kick you off. <laughs> yeah, if that ever happened... Oh, man. Because it took so long to get get to this point i would that would be pretty pissed i had um i was starting i i have three three little boys and um they would always work out with their shirts off and then i started getting just shit loads of pornography someone was obviously trying to fuck with me and p- people were started i think it's one person started reporting my account every day and my boys had really long hair they never had haircuts so the hair yeah. was down to their back and uh i just got so many reports that finally i did, uh, and then someone from Someone, one of my followers who works um, in at Instagram, who I don't even know, said, hey, you know what they're doing? I said, no. He said, they're going to keep reporting these until the police come to your house. And they were getting reported because I'm, I'm assuming because they were getting pulled down because I'm assuming they thought they were girls, right? Even though they're only three years old, but they were working yeah. out with their shirts off and people probably thought they were girls. So I finally went through my account and erased all those any video with one of my boys with the shirt off I raced. But the irony is, is like we see all the crazy shit, people barely clothed, fucking dancing upside down on poles. But but I'm getting reported for pornography because my boy's getting his swole on with his shirt off. There's a, there's a lot of trolls on Instagram. It's really un, unavoidable. Yeah. Um. Do you come up with these workouts? Are they – do you make them impromptu? Are you uh, uh, are you part artist? Is this like where where do you get all these things at? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much wing a lot of my workouts. I definitely have like a template when I when I go into the gym 
for the day, I kind of have like a rough idea of what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, like yesterday, I was like, I want to work on a lot of lateral movement. I didn't know what workouts I was going to do, but I knew I was going to be doing a lot of side to side. And then from there, it's like you said, you kind of just got to be an artist and paint your own portrait with, with the workouts. So once you have like the basics down, you know, you, you know how to do different type of ladder drills and hurdle, hurdle drills. You can start combining things and get really creative with it. And that's how I keep it fun for myself. You have a ton of toys. Definitely. Sticks and sticks and sand aqua bags and aqua bags and <laughs> bikers um, and hurdles so, and things. So so yeah, tons of different hurdles, sticks. Uh what first of all, do people reach out to you? Cause I'm sure there's at least a couple of things that I saw you use that like, I'm like, okay. And I go over to my computer and I go on Amazon and order it. Yeah. Do people come up to you? I mean, and it doesn't look like you're advertising these things. I mean, you're legitimately using them. I never see any like over, um, you're never overtly selling anything, but do a lot of people contact you and they're like, Hey, will you please use my gloves or Hey, will you jump on my sand dune stepper? Oh, By the yeah. way, I, I love the sand dune stepper. I love it. I use it all the time. Yeah. A huge advocate. So you do get reached out by people who say, hey, will you give this a whirl? Yeah, all the time. I mean, like on a daily basis. I think everybody's like trying to make a quick dollar, especially in the fitness industry. Um, the massage guns have been like overwhelming the amount of massage guns that have been uh, set my <laughs> way. And people are like, use my massage gun, use this one. But I, I like to use like the top brands. You know, I don't, there's a lot of knockoff stuff. But, um, I mean, you don't have to get crazy with workout equipment. In, in our gym, we have like three machines. You know, we have our Kaiser. And um, I guess our Kaiser would really be like the only uh, machine that we have. Everything What's a Kaiser? Just, What's a Kaiser? It's a, it's a cable machine, air compressed okay. cable machine. Everything else we have is just uh, functional equipment. And the best part about it is you could take one hurdle and do 200 exercises with it. So that's kind of how, how I like to do my training is just find basic equipment and get creative with it. Air compressed cable machine. Have I don't think I've ever seen one of those. As you mean as yeah, opposed the to the one machine. That, we have the same oh, one the at the gym. Yep. Yeah. Once once you go Kaiser, you can't go back. So all the gyms I've been in, like if I go to a hotel, they all, the cable goes up over a pulley and then hangs onto a big stack of weights. You're saying yours isn't like that? Yeah, so the major difference with the Kaiser is that there's, with any plate-loaded plate, plate loaded machine, if you yank it hard, then it's going to kind of jerk the cable. And you, you really can't do explosive movements with your traditional uh, plate-loaded cable machine. With the Kaiser, it's uh, air compression. So you can do your chops or whatever your rows is explosive as you want. And it's not going to cause any damage to you or that machine. And then the cool thing about the Kaiser, especially once you start getting the athletes in here or, or just regular people that want to be competitive, it'll actually give you a specific power output. So if you're doing like a basic row, you could get your power to, let's say, 500. And then on the next set, you kind of motivate your clients that way and say, OK, let's get you to 600 on this next set. And it still moves smoothly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's it's still, fun, yeah, it still feels good like that, like that. It's, does it feel like the cable going over the pulley once you're once you're pulling? Like it's a nice, uh, steady, it, consistent. It feels a lot better, actually. It's consistent throughout the whole thing. I mean, with the cable, there's always going to be like that dead point at the top. 
Um, so th this doesn't have that. It's just smooth throughout the entire range of motion. Sounds expensive. It was expensive, definitely. <laughs> Is there an air compressor that you hear turn on? Yeah. Yeah, everybody asks us that question when they first start coming here. They're like, what is that thing? I'm like, that's the machine you were just using. Have you have you been to Armenia? One time. The best time of my life. It was the best time of your life? Yeah, definitely. Did, oh, you went with some sporting program then? No. <laughs> I uh -oh. just it was it was a family trip. It was actually our last family trip. We weren't able to all get together like that in a long time. But um, it's just like when you go to your homeland, you just have like a different type of feeling. I can't explain it. I don't know if you've ever been to Armenia, but you, you step foot on that land and you just feel like you're home. It's yeah. unexplainable. Yeah, I get that. So I, I've been there a couple of times and my dad spends six months a year there. So he bought some property out in the country and, mm -hmm. you know, plants apricot trees and cherry trees and does he's playing he's playing Mr. Armenian. But it was uh i i had a i had a love hate with it to be honest but but i did definitely it was definitely very nice to be around my people like everywhere i went i was like holy shit everyone's armenian <laughs> yeah this this is home H have you ever been to beirut no i heard okay. i heard beirut is a good time though yeah it's pretty cool it's a trip um it, it, it was it was nothing what what I thought it would be like. You know, you always hear things about the Middle East, and they always seem so scary. But everywhere I've been in the Middle East, and I, and I haven't been in a long time, but Damascus, Beirut, everywhere in Turkey that I had been, it, man, it felt so sa so safe compared to the United States. It felt just amazing. Just yeah, I think every country has its areas. I mean, if you go like the heart of Yerevan, it's obviously a lot more. Um, I don't want to say Americanized, but uh, just more modernized. Maybe is a better word. But if you go to the outskirts, the actual villages, you know, it can still feel like it's kind of third world. Oh, definitely. yeah, yeah. Yeah. My dad definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, 20 minute drive. You go from a Lamborghini dealership to a uh, to cement. Huts. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Well, D Detroit can be like that, too, actually. So it's like, <laughs> you know, every every state has its areas, I guess. Is a second gym on the horizon? Is there any desire to expand what you have going? Yes, yeah, I've uh, been on my mind a lot lately, actually. You know, I've been thinking about, I pretty much have an idea of different areas where I think I know it would work. The hardest part for any gym owner is just cloning yourself. So it's just like you said, you know, having one owner for one gym and you're kind of uh, held accountable for that space. And the hardest, the hardest thing about uh, expanding is just leaving your your gym, your baby, in someone else's hands. So I think I'm on the right track with the couple trainers that I do have. You know, I've seen them progress so much in the past year. So I'm really hoping that in the next year or two, uh, that will be on the horizon for sure. And that's and that's got to be stressful. It is stressful, but I I'm kind of craving that feeling of excitement i had when i opened the first gym you know there's nothing more exciting than starting a new project like that and i miss it do you envision it also to... being in in uh, michigan or would you try to country i've thought about la i've thought about florida you know it's, it's cold in michigan i don't know if you guys know this is freezing over here so 
I've definitely thought about it, um, but I think most likely it would be in Michigan just because we already have a name for ourselves here. We've branded ourselves very well. And I, I just, I can envision it. You know, once you have that vision and it's crystal clear, you feel confident going into a new endeavor. I mean, your, your reputation for your gym is either, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not saying it like I know it, but it's either growing, it's either getting better or getting worse. There's no like, mm. so someone either leaves your gym and goes home and tells their husband, holy shit, I just had another amazing yeah. great workout with uh, Andre, or they tell their spouse that. Or they went home and was was like, hey, Andre was rude to me today, right? Or, hey, right. there was no parking again at Troy Fitness or whatever the fuck kind of shit that they want to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've clearly built an incredible brand for yourself. People are definitely talking and want to be in your facility. Um, if you build another one, I you, you it's, it's basically you, you just make yourself more vulnerable to that, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, you make yourself vulnerable to more unhappy customers. You make yourself vulnerable to um, disappointing previous customers that maybe they've been used to you always being around and and being there 24-7 and now you're not there all the time. So, you know, there's going to be people that that will be upset, but anybody that that knows a business owner, like all the hats that you have to wear on a daily basis, like they kind of give you some leeway. And we actually have a ton of entrepreneurs at our gym. That's what I, that's one thing I love about our facility is it's just like a a great place to network. Like we have so many awesome clients in so many different industries. Like they understand they're all rooting for us. They want us to expand. Yeah. I, and another thing I was thinking is, uh, um, if it's too far away, you're going to spend half your life in your car. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not going back to that because that's like early life of a trainer. You're like living out of your car. Actually, when we had the whole COVID thing, I felt I literally felt like I went back ten years, and I have like all this equipment in my trunk, and hurdles, and bands, and agility ladders in my trunk, and I'm pulling it out and doing workouts at the park. I was like, man, this is like this is what my life was like ten years ago before I had my own space. So yeah, we don't want to go back to that. My my wife um, had like, and you know, this is twenty years ago, but she had like seven different yoga jobs, right? Mm-hmm. One at this studio, one at this studio, one at a prison, one with these ki- high school. And I just remember thinking, so she had to drive from yoga job to yoga job. And it's not, it's like not sustainable. It's like. No, it'll it's, exhaust you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a miserable existence. When, when you have clients come in, what is the, what is the order and you talk to them about things and when does nutrition come in? So it kind of depends on the client. Some clients come in and they're just like, they already know everything about me. They already know everything about the gym. They've been referred. They did their research and they know exactly what they're getting into. So those clients, I kind of just bring them in for their initial uh, assessment. We'll do like an in-body assessment just so we have a good baseline of where their body fat is, where their muscle mass is. And then I'll get them in their first workout and we'll just go from there. But um, clients that they maybe they've been referred or maybe they looked us up online, they don't know too much about our gym. The first thing I do is I, I explain our semi-private training model so that they feel comfortable that they're still going to get that one-on-one style of attention in a semi-private setting. And then I explain to them our, our process with nutrition assistance. I'm a strong believer in writing a food journal 
because that's the only way I can really see what you're eating on a daily basis. So I always stress that like that's one of the, the most important things that they can do in the gym to see success. And then um, if everything sounds okay to them, we'll sign them up. We'll get them in for their first workout. Definitely uh, give a little bit more attention to clients in the first month of their training just because, you know, they're new to it. They don't know. But my my goal is that within a month of training, they're just going to walk into the gym and feel totally comfortable uh, in a gym setting. Because a lot of people don't feel comfortable when they first come to the gym. When, um, I know that that's it's funny because I for so many I I don't remember what that feels like because it was so long ago. It's a trip. Yeah. It's hard for me to even fathom that. But you probably you see it every day, right? Oh yeah, people like I've literally had clients pull up to the gym, park their cars. I'll see them and then they'll drive back off, and I'll text them. I'm like, "Where are you going?" They're like, "I can't do this today." <laughs> I'm like, "Come on, you better get get your ass back here. I'm, we're gonna make this work." So like my my. True goal with everyone. Sorry about that, guys. That's okay. I want to hear how you answer the phone. Oh, damn. Uh, we got it. <laughs> um, my true goal with everybody is that, like, they feel like they're one of us, you know? And that's why I'm a little bit harder on people because I'm like, all right, you know, you're going to make it through this, but it's going to pay off in the long haul because you're going to walk in here and you'll feel that confidence. You'll feel like you belong. Do you, are your parents putting pressure on you to have kids? All the time. I'm oh, Armenian. wow. You know how it is. <laughs> what, and what does that look like? Um, you know, mainly mainly at family gatherings. You know, both my sisters have kids and they have families now, so I get a little bit more pressure because of that. But they also see, like, the path that I'm on. They see how motivated I am with my business, and, and they understand. Like, I had a talk with my mom the other day, and I was telling her, you know, I, I'm planning online training, and – I want to potentially open another gym and do this, this, and that. And then I, I ended that with mom, like, please, please don't ask me about kids or anything anytime soon because like I got my hands full and I'm also a strong believer in like, if, if you want something, you can't just constantly go out looking for it. Like, especially something like love family, kids, like stuff like that is just going to happen as it should. Um, I, I will say this to you for someone who obviously grinds. Yeah. Your thirty your thirties are that's your prime grinding. And you haven't hit thirty yet. So I didn't have my first kid till I was forty three. I wouldn't yep. have it in I, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I didn't know that in hindsight, but man, because if you get all your shit in order, like I, all my shit's in order. I can spend yeah. all day, every day with my kids. That's all I do all day. And then, and, no, then fool, and then fool around with this podcast shit. So it's, it's funny you say that. Cause like, I was literally talking to one of my friends yesterday and I was telling him like, yeah, you, you know, he's 32. And I was like, you got plenty of time. You know, you could, you could meet someone when you're 35, 36. He's like, I don't want to be old playing with my kids. And you know, I can't, I can't run around with them. And I'm like, why do you have to be old when you're 36? I was like, take care of yourself now and you'll be in better shape than some of these guys that are in their late twenties. I mean, I mean, there's definitely things I, I, you know, I, at 49, I, I, I can't go to the beach and, and play Frisbee for six hours. Like I used to, right. I can't just fucking let the wheels fall off the bus, but I can go out there and play for 30 minutes or, and then rest and then play for another 30 minutes. Or I can, you know, but but here's the thing 
and I and I'm and I'm probably I would have to guess for people my age in this country I've got to be in the top one percent even though I'm not that fit but I just work out every single day right yeah but when you also when you reach this age your desire of what you want to do with your kid changes too so like I'm not like I'm not thirty anymore so I don't want to play frisbee for six hours. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I don't, I actually enjoy going in and we do one workout together. And then my kids who's six years old does another three workouts without me. And I just chill and watch them, you know, you're kind of, your priorities change, but coach. (laughs) Yeah. I'm more cheerleader, but, um, or the bandaid man. But what's really great. What's really cool about your thirties is, is just, I mean, you're a fucking workhorse. And so your kids' lives will flash. They'll go. So many of my friends don't get to spend the time with their kids that I get to spend. And most of my friends are younger than me because they're working. They're working nine to fives. They're, you know, but uh, like a a passion project like you have, you found what you really want to do. Fuck, man. There's no reason to let anything interfere with that. I don't think. I think your 30s are just made for. I mean, I did film work and I worked at CrossFit and I started there. Basically, I was homeless. And when I when I left there, I was the executive director of media and had, you know, 70 to 100 employees and had enough money that. I'm good. Yeah. And then, then, you know, 15 years later, the business sold, I got fired and I have three kids, (laughs) you know, it's like I'm living the dream. So, um, but, but my, you know, it's funny how parents' priorities change. I'm sure my, like my wife is Jewish and her parents wanted her to marry a Jewish man. And my wife wanted, my parents wanted me to marry an Armenian woman, I'm sure. And they want you to have kids. But as you get older and older, they're kind of, they'll lower the requirements on you. Okay, she doesn't have to be Armenian. <laughs> Just how about a one kid, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. I've like, definitely like the, seen that happen down the line. Maybe not so much with my mom. She's still like dead set on, uh, you know, being with an Armenian woman. Nice Armenian girl for yeah, you, things, Andre. Definitely by the time you turn 40, they're like, all right, just give us a kid. <laughs> give yeah. us a grandkid. <laughs> um, why did they name you Andre? Oh, man, there's a story behind this. I have to try to remember. Um I think there was like some French singer or something that my mom really liked. And then there was a, my, my dad liked the name too. And they were just, they went with it. I don't mind. I like my name. It's cool. Yeah. I like your name too. I'm, I, I'm not dogging it. It's just, I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever yeah. met any other Armenians named Andre. So my middle name is Ara. Oh, so yeah, I know. So I, I have a kid named um, Adi and Avi. And I okay. wanted to name the other one Ada or what Anu. Happened? My wife's like, hey, you can't have three kids with three letter A names. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? That's like a, a very <laughs> um, traditional type thing. Like so many, uh, so many Armenian people I know, it's like Zavin and they all Z, Z names. Yeah. So I really wanted to do that. All three letter A names, but my wife's like, nah. So we named uh, one of my boys Joseph after my dad. And then, and then, how did you get this last name, Kazirian? How, where, where, what, what's the story behind that? Does that mean something in Armenian? I think it means chief. Okay. The translation. So that's that's just my dad's last name. And and did he get? Is your dad? Is your? Are you first generation here? Yeah. And how did your parents get here? Um, I don't even know the answer to that, to be honest. I've never, I've never asked them, but I would assume by plane. I don't think they were, <laughs> I don't think they came by boat, but yeah, they think by plane. I know. So my, my dad and my dad has five sisters and, um, he came here 
with one of my his younger sisters first and then once they kind of uh, built a footprint they started bringing over the rest of the family and then my mom's side of the family they all moved to la which you know like a lot of the armenians when they come from armenia they moved to la so she had family here already and then they just slowly started coming how old was your dad when he came i want to say early 20s and how old is he now 56 oh shit your dad is young oh my god yeah i mean he he works out he keeps himself active okay well my dad's 80 but he came over the exact same way he came over first in his 20 in his 20s and then and then brings the family over one by one save money save save money i mean my dad was always a hustler too like he he grinded and he's had that from the day I was born, like I saw that in him. And that's why I always knew I, I didn't know what type of business I wanted to open, but I just always knew I wanted to open my own business because I saw him do it. And that's what he always taught me. So I just, I always had that kind of hustler's mentality in the back of my mind. Even all my aunts, they all own their own businesses, like different industries. What, what, what business did your dad own? Did he start? So my dad, he originally opened a mechanic shop. He was really good with cars, great handyman. He opened his own place. Um, that that went really well, like back in the 80s. That was like a booming time for business. And then uh, kind of started like building a, a, an empire with that. And then he had some bad luck with uh, different type of investments, stock market bubble of 2000. Things got really hard. And I watched him like struggle during those years a lot. You know, it was kind of hard for my family, but I I literally watched him like just get back to the basics, back to his own grind. He started working for GM. So like imagine, you know, you own your own mechanic shop, you're making all this money and now you're uh, working for scraps at GM, like at, at the bottom of the totem pole. And I just watched him do that for like so many years until he could finally get himself to a place where he could uh, start a new venture. And then my aunt owned a jewelry store at the time, of course. So um, he ended up getting into that industry and hasn't looked back since. So he went from mechanic shop to jewelry store. <laughs> so span of 10 years. So Brian, um, those are three things. The only thing he didn't have in there is carpets. Uh, Armin, yeah. well, uh, my dad owned a wine and cheese store. Um, your dad owned a mechanic shop. And now he's in the jewelry. We just need someone who sells carpets. And we pretty much summed up the, uh, we got yeah. all the jobs that Armenians do. It is really remarkable. Um, the lineage of people we come from, these fuckers work hard, man. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy. I can, um, my dad owned a wine and cheese store and he worked, yeah, 365 days a year, like didn't matter. And he would take me to work with him. Hey, it's Christmas. Come on, let's go. Hey, it's Easter. Come on, let's go. And I'll be like, all right, let's roll. Oh yeah. Christmas was our busiest time in the jewelry business. It was like, yeah, Christmas, you're going to get gifts, but first we're going to work 80 hours this week. (laughs) And I'll, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the Christmas, uh, my, it was it was Christmas morning, and my dad and I went to his store, and he was just going to go in for like 20 minutes, and I was mm-hmm. just going to be there with him. And then we were the only store open on the street, and one customer comes in, another customer comes in, and I remember – and I was – I don't know how old I was, seven or eight, and he's like, oh, just a few more minutes. And I'm like, no, Heidi, I love this. Let's stay here. Let's stay here all day. I, I can't believe it. even at seven or eight, do, I like, knew. I'm like, look how much money my dad's making. Like, <laughs> And we yeah, stayed like, there for like six hours selling wine. 
that's the crazy thing. Like I see so many young kids now, like they, they don't want to work, you know, they, it doesn't excite them. But for me, like when I used to see my dad grinding and like, you know, customers coming in, like I fell in love with it. I, I was obsessed with the business as much as he was like, I was, I was going to open my own jewelry store. I was going to be in that industry because I did enjoy it. I just, I like business. I like being an entrepreneur and kind of being in charge of your own destiny. And it's cool. It's cool working with people. Yeah. Cool. And you get to meet a lot of new people that way too. And you build close relationships. That's why I said like one of the uh, greatest things I love about my job is that the network of people that we've created. You have brothers and sisters, two sisters and your parents are still together. Yeah. And are you the oldest? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. So two older sisters. I had one older mm -hmm. sister. And, um, so how, how old were you? How old were you guys when you left the house? Uh, like moved out. Yeah. My sisters, they, they had to get married. Of course, that was like kind of the Armenian traditional way. So once they got married, like mid twenties, they were able to move out. But, um, I, I moved out when I was, uh, maybe 19. I wasn't like fully moved out, but I had, a I kind of split a space with some friends on campus where when I had like classes back to back, I would stay there for a couple of days, go back and forth. And then when I was 22, that's when I moved to LA. And ever since then I, I've been on my own. Wow. So you never ended up going back home. Uh, when I moved back from LA, I was at home maybe for like six, seven months. And then I was like, okay, I miss living by myself. So as soon as, as soon as the business was well enough where I could do something, I was out again. How happy were your parents to have you back? Oh, uh, they still, they still tell me every time I go over there for dinner, they're like, why don't you just sleep over? I'm like, guys, I'm going home. <laughs> I like my own bed. Have another drink. Stay the night. Oh yeah. That's how they try to get you in there. Like, oh, keep drinking. These Armenian households, they love to drink. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, I, the, the first time I went away from home, I went, I, I was, I was going to city college and then I did, uh, and then I went to the university of London for a semester. So that was like my first time. Well, I was kicked out of the house at 16, but, but, but I just went and lived with my dad instead of my mom. But, uh, but what's interesting is, is that back and forth, I was in and out of my house from 16 all the way to 34 in and out, in and out, in and out. My mom and dad were always so welcoming. And I know that some people thought that that was weird or that I might not, you know, sometimes you have to kick a bird out of a, the nest and you have to teach mm -hmm. it hard lessons. But what they don't realize is like working hard is not, not an issue like for my culture. And so obviously, right. you, and, and family is really, really important. But I remember at 34, um, living with my mom, it was, it was probably the last time I lived with her, but I remember saying, mom, can we start telling people that you live with me? I mean, for the first 33 years, we've always said, I live with you. Let's just flip the script on that shit. She's like, nah, I paid a mortgage. <laughs> but, but now that I've had, you know, all the hard work paid off, um, I'm always looking, she just lives down the road from me, but I'm always looking for a place where my mom can move back in, you know, a property that has a, has a house on the, uh, you know, in the backyard yeah. or, or a house that's big enough that everyone can live in. It's just, man, there's nothing better than family. And it's a shame that, um, there's this cultural myth that you, everyone has to go. I mean, I know, I know it's important to go and fly on your own, right. but it's also, man, your, your, your family is just incredible, especially if it's a healthy family. 
Yeah, my uh, my godmother and godfather, like they had a house literally in the same neighborhood, like the next street down. And I just remember, like, I always loved the fact that they were so close. And like anytime we had family gathered, like we would we would see them multiple times a week. And it, that's the that's the best way to, like, keep the family close is by literally keeping them in close proximity. And it's hard right now because both my sisters live in Chicago, but we're always like throwing around uh, ideas and and you know different ways that maybe in the future we can all relocate to the same space. So I ho- I hope it works out because you know I want my family to have that too one day. Yeah, do ever, even do you ever visit them in Chicago? All the time. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, where I'm so at. Let me know next time you're here. What's oh you guys are you guys are in Chicago, aren't you? I'm I in am. California. He's in Chicago. All right. How about we both go to California? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. We'll definitely visit uh, both both spots. Awesome. Well, Andre, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you. Um, You've truly inspired. um, You know, for someone, I've been in the in this world with some of the best trainers and best athletes um, in the world, and yet when I want to train people, train my kids and and look for really cool, explosive stuff that I think is insanely functional for all the activities they do. I go to your Instagram. Um, I'll have it tagged on the screen. I really appreciate everything you're contributing to humanity. And um, the icing on the cake is that you're a beautiful Armenian man. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. And your kids are awesome, by the way. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. You all got right. It.